Are you guys ready to get into the word today? I need you guys to be loose, excited, exuberant. I'm talking to you two online. I want to make sure there's some hearts going across the stage as I'm preaching. I saw it on uh, church at home. But uh, I need you guys loud and proud. You guys good to respond today? I love it. I love it. Um, could you all stand for the reading of God's word today? I got an incredible, incredible uh, scripture I want to read to you. And uh, I really believe that this is going to impact and help your life quite a bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. The NIV translation says it like this. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God has destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Watch this. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Let's go back one more time and let's read it with a little bit more faith. And at the end, shout amen. What no eye has seen and what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God prepared for those who love him. Can I get an amen, everybody? My vernacular and my translation is that, of that is God is saying to you, you haven't seen nothing yet. Come on, you haven't seen nothing yet. Let's marry one more scripture together and I'll have you see. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, it says this. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans in a person's heart. Come on, all of us got some plans. But how many know God's plans always prevail? And so ultimately what I want to do is talk about this today is that uh, I know you got your plans and make your plans, but include God's purposes. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our community. Uh, I ask for your assistance and your divine intervention. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be present in this room and your intervention in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said? Everybody said? Amen and amen. You can be seated. Make sure you high five a neighbor and give them some love as you're getting seated. Um, so the church, let's talk about the church. I love the church of Jesus Christ. I specifically love this church. Come on, anybody love this church? I love the church. I've given my life to the church. And one of the primary functions and responsibilities of the church of Jesus Christ is to be the educational arm of Christianity. It's really a teaching. It's a school. It's a training center where we raise up disciples and send them out to do the work of the ministry. And a primary responsibility and a function of a preacher, communicator, and an orator of the gospel is to inform you and instruct you about the character and the nature of God. And so this is not to be a supplement for you. It's to be complementary towards your personal devotion to God. How many know you shouldn't just come in here and if you have one meal a week, you're going to be starving to death? So you should be going home and studying the character and the nature of God and learning who God is for yourself. But we are used as a compliment and a really a help and an assistance to help you know who God is, what God does and what God says. Now, one of the key facets and the key contributing factors of the life of Jesus that I think many of us forget sometimes is oftentimes we see him as our Lord. Oftentimes we see him as our savior, but we don't always see him as our example. See, Jesus doesn't just tell us and teach us what to believe in the scripture. He teaches us how to behave in the scripture. And there's one facet that oftentimes gets misoverlooked or misunderstood about the nature of our God. Is Watch this. God, write this down in your notes. God is a planner. 
God is a planner. It's often said, is it not, that the devil is in the details. How many know God is in the details? Our God is a God who is incessant about his planning. He is so methodical and he is so strategic in everything that he does. I love what one great preacher said. He goes, God does not play checkers. God plays chess. In other words, he's not a step ahead of you. He's 10. I love this about the character and the nature of our God. Is He is such a planner. Case in point, the story of Lazarus. Anybody know the story of Lazarus? Lazarus is known as not only the brother of Mary and Martha. He's a man of Bethany, a man from Bethany. But he's also a friend of Jesus. And Lazarus ends up dying. Now, the frustrating thing and the aggravating thing about this story is the proximity that Jesus was to Lazarus. Now, watch this. I want to show you the character and the nature of our God of how he is an assessment planner, and he is so intentional about everything that he does. So Lazarus dies. Now, imagine and put yourself as Mary and Martha in the story. Feel what they feel in the story. Their brother dies. Their brother is a great friend of Jesus, informed Jesus that he was dying. He ends up dying, and Jesus, scholars believe, is only just a couple miles away. So he could have had an hour walk, laid hands on him. He would have been healed from his sickness, and he wouldn't have had to die in the first place. But Lazarus doesn't die just for one day. He doesn't die for two days. He's been dead for three days, not three days. He's been dead for four days. Now, why is this so important? I think it's because something about the character of our God is Jesus doesn't just perform miracles. He also proves points. But I think what he also was doing in this moment was he was preparing for a revival. Watch, I'll prove it to you. So Jesus, again, just a few miles away, waits till Lazarus dies. Four days later, he comes to him and he goes, Lazarus goes into his tomb. Lazarus, wake up, get up from your sleep. I love this about the character of our God is that God doesn't call it death. He calls it sleep. Most people call it death. But God calls it sleep. In other words, this life is just temporary. You might have died physically, but how many know your spirit has an eternal place, an eternal place of rest? And so he says, no, nah, he's just been sleeping. He goes, Lazarus, get up. Uh, modern day vernacular, stay woke, Lazarus. Come on, young people. He goes, get woke. There you go, Fran, that's for you. He goes, get woke. And he goes, Lazarus, you smell like death. Walk out and go take a shower. Come on, go home and go take a shower. But watch, my, my favorite part about Lazarus' story is that he didn't even have to say a word. Just the very existence of his being, the fact that he has breath in his lungs was actually offensive to the devil because it performs and it proves that God does miracles today. And actually what the Bible says is that the Pharisees and the chief priests were so frustrated and so angry, they were plotting the plan of revenge and kill Lazarus because he was such a proven point of the working power of God's uh, power and miracles. Can I get amen, everybody? It was amazing. So God is not just performing a miracle, resurrecting a dead man. He's not just proving a point, but he also prepared for a revival. Lazarus was a walking revival. And I think many of us in this room, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't have to say a single word. Just the very fact that we are in church, we have breath in our lungs, and we aren't in prison right now is a testament to the grace of God. Can I get an amen, everybody? Some of us, the very reason we are in this room is a testament to God's grace and God's miraculous power. But he's also proving a point. And let me tell you the point. In Jewish custom, there was a Jewish belief that your spirit would hover around your body for about three days. And so they believed that after three days, there was no possible way where there could be a resurrection. They believed that your spirit would ascend and go wherever it would go, but it would go away and you wouldn't possibly be able to resurrect. What did Jesus do? He waited not the first day, not the second day, not the third day. He waited the fourth day. 
Why would he do something like that? This is preposterous. What would he do that for? Is because he's proving a point that even if culture says something, what God says has the final word and the final word alone. This is our God. God is so intentional about what he does. He is a planner, he is strategic, and he is methodical. Now understand something. God has three plans. He has the providential plan. There is a providential plan. In other words, he wants to see people come in relationship with him. Our responsibility are, uh, as Christians and as believers is to be ministers of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5.18. We are called to reconcile those, basically befriend those to God. That is his providential plan. His moral plan is that not just we would be good people, we would be alive people. We would set people free. We would have good deeds and good works in this world. But he also has, watch this, a specific plan for your life. Amen. How many know God has a specific plan? Yeah. Scripture teaches that he goes, the Holy Spirit will speak to you, say, go to the left or go to the right. In other words, God is basically saying, I have a specific plan for you, a specific person for you. I have specific jobs for you. I have specific assignments for your life. Now, the Bible doesn't necessarily say what you are supposed to do. In other words, you're not supposed to take this job. Scripture doesn't speak about that, but it does say what the plan will do. Jeremiah 29, 11. Many of us know this plan. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So he communicates not what the plan is, but what the plan does. The plan prospers you. Is there anybody in this room that wants to prosper? That does not sound like you want to prosper. Come on, is there any people in this room that want to prosper? God wants to prosper you. We are not necessarily a prosperity gospel church, but we do believe God wants to prosper your life. He wants to prosper you. He does not want to harm you. He wants to give you a hope and a future. Ephesians 3.20, just to prove another point, because clearly you guys didn't believe me. Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask, think, or imagine, according to the power that is worked with in us. And so what does God want to do? Scripture teaches he wants to do more. Somebody shout more. more. He wants to do more. He doesn't just want to do more. He wants to do immeasurably more. God wants to do, let me, let me declare this to you. God wants to do more in your life, through your life, and for your life in 2020. Can I get an amen, everybody? He wants to do more. But he doesn't just say what the plan is. He also says how he wants to do it. And how does he do it? He wants to do more in, through, and for you. But how does he do it? He has to do a work within you. So he has to do a work within you. God has a specific plan. Scripture teaches as well. We just read it. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. It says, no, I have seen... No ear has heard and no mind has conceived the things that God has planned for you. Somebody shout, God's got plans for me. He's got plans for you. I just want to let you know that. And the plans will blow your mind. How many know you can trust God with your joy? You can trust God with your finances. You can trust God with your relationships. You can trust God with your life. If you can trust God with your eternity, you can trust him with your life. God's got plans for you. And so God is a planner question is, are you a planner? I think all of us, I think all of us got plans. Do we not? All of us got plans. It's 2020. We got New Year's resolutions. We got tons of things we're trying to accomplish and goals that we have. Uh, I just wrote down a few of mine. First one, first goal I have, I want to grow my faith this year. Anybody else want to grow in their faith? Come on. I want to grow in my faith. I want my spirit. I want my core to be strong. I want it to be, I want to be like Joshua, strong and courageous. I want to go into places and do things that I never thought I could do. I want to increase in the power of God. I want to increase in the wisdom of God. I want to grow in my faith this year. How many people in this room, just by a show of hands, and even online, you can give me a like if you have it. How many people in here uh, are going through the fast right now? Raise your hand. Come on, I love seeing that. 
What is the fast? What is the fast doing? It's, it's, it's strengthening your spirit and it's starving your flesh. We're learning how to grow this year in our faith. Here's the second thing. I want to grow my family. Anybody else? Come on. I want my family to grow. I want to see our, our spiritual health. I want to see us grow supernaturally. I want to see us grow uh, in our finances. I want to see us grow emotionally. Quick little thing. I had a, a conversation with my wife. She said I could share this uh, today. But our family is turning into a family of four, everybody. Isn't that pretty crazy? Yeah, we bought a uh, we bought a beta fish last night, and we were so pumped up about it, and um, and we are so hyped to have Bombay the beta fish in our crib. Come on, y'all! I totally got mom so bad that time right there. That was so good. You should have seen dad. Dad was crying last service. Totally got him. It was so good. It was so good. <sighs> That's it. Sermon's over, guys. Just kidding, kidding, kidding. Come on, I want to grow in my family. Here's another thing I want to grow in. I want to grow in my fitness. I want to grow in my faith. I want to grow in my family. I want to grow in my fitness. How many know we're trying to grow spiritually, but shrink physically? Come on, somebody. I'm happy to report last year I had a goal. I wanted to lose about 10 pounds. And by the end of the year, I only had 17 pounds more to go. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> we all got plans. We all got plans. Do we not? Um... When you're doing and making your plans, here's something that I just want to give you. Is every plan, write this down, this is your big idea for today. Every plan should give God glory and, for, and should be for people's good. Every plan that you make should be for God's glory and should be for people's good. Every plan that you make. Because listen to me, God won't bless plans that are not his. Did you hear me? God will not bless plans that are his. You could have a plan that works, but it doesn't mean you'll have a plan that lasts. And a plan that lasts has God's hand and his favor upon it. Can I get an amen? amen. Let me share a story, and I'll give you three ingredients of a plan that prevails. Um, first, recently I just went through a serious injury. I actually had a sciatic uh, pinched nerve. It was horrible. And so basically my T8 and T9 and sacrum on my vertebrae were a little bit shifted to the point where it pinched a nerve and my whole right leg was uh, basically not even be able to be used. And so anytime I would walk, I would have to walk with a limp. I felt like the hunchback of Notre Dame, it hurt so bad. And so there was times where I literally got out of bed and my, my foot collapsed completely. You ever had that happen before? So my wife was like, what just happened? Did a bomb go off? No, I just fell out of bed. Don't worry about it, babe. Go back to sleep. So I was so frustrated. So I ended up going to the chiropractor. I actually go to Dr. Christian Carroll. He's in our church. Love that guy. Amazing work he did. And so he looked at me. He goes, Dev, your neck, your shoulder, and even your spine are out of alignment. All I need to do is do a couple adjustments. And what did he do? You know, he does that whole thing. You ever been to the chiropractor before? And they rub your head, and, you know, you can smell the essential oils on their hands. And so sweet, so kind, lotioned up. And just all of a sudden, he just goes, and all of a sudden, my neck. I'm like, am I, am I dead? Am I? What happened? Freaking out. And I was like, can I move my neck? He's like, yes, you can move your neck. I'm like, wow, I feel amazed. I just feel like floating, you know? My body just feels so loose. Anyways, what was I talking about? Um, oh, yeah. So he just said, I need an alignment. What I want to do today is just function as a little bit of a spiritual chiropractor for you. I know you got plans. I know you got decisions to make. I know there's some transitions happening in life this year. I know there might be some relationships you get connected to. I know there might be some relationships you got to stop. I know there's a lot of transitions and plans that we have for 2020 and even this new decade, but I want to make sure you include three ingredients. 
to a plan that prevails. The first one will be this. Write this one down. Is this. You need to have the glorification of God. The glorification of God. Making sure that every plan that you have, every decision you make, every transition that's going on in your life glorifies God. Let me ask you a rhetorical question for a moment. And I would encourage you to write this question down. Is this. Is the plans that I'm making glorifying God or giving me comfort? Everybody heard me? Sure, quiet. Are the plans that I'm making glorifying God or are they bringing me comfort? See, comfort is this American thing that we are trying to pursue. And let me just tell you something. Biblically speaking, if we're looking at especially the New Testament church and how they established the church, Comfort was never a word that would describe the New Testament Christians. I know we're trying to be comfortable and we're trying to take care of our family. But let's make sure one thing is clear. We are to glorify God and glorify God alone. Watch this. Scripture teaches this. And this is what it says, Psalm 115. Not to us, Lord. Not to us, but to your name. How many remember that song? Not to us. You guys sing when dad sings, but you don't sing when I sing? Whatever. Clearly there's favoritism. Uh, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. Now watch this. Anytime something is in scripture, it's important, is it not? Anytime something is repeated twice, it's crucial. Not to us. What does that say? Not to us. In other words, maybe we've gotten so convoluted and complicated where we are all about ourselves in our culture today. How many know we live in a culture of self-glorification? We love to celebrate ourselves. We love it. Um, Let's just talk about social media for a second because I'm a youth pastor and I talk to young people all the time. Um, If your social media is solely glorifying you and not glorifying God, friend, why do you have social media? Do you know one post could reach thousands of people? Just a little soapbox rant for a second. But I just need you to know, you need to make sure you are glorifying God because God will get behind a plan that glorifies him. We're all about glorifying ourselves. You ever seen the award shows, you know, AMAs or the Grammys or all this stuff? They get to this award and they go, yo, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for my hit song, Prostitutes and Parties. It was so good. I'm like, dude, that does not glorify God in any way, shape, or form. Has anybody seen shows like that? I'm like, friend, that does not help in any way. That does not glorify God. As a matter of fact, that does not glorify God. That glorifies the devil. Come on, somebody. That's the way our culture is. We glorify the devil sometimes with how we act and how we post and how we talk. And then even the church. The church, we get it wrong sometimes, too. See, because sometimes we'll compliment people. All praise be to him. All glory be to God. When somebody's just giving you honor and gratitude for something nice you did. Oh, it was all God. No, it wasn't all God. I know that sounds heretical, but that's the problem. Sometimes heresy is actually wisdom. Hear me. You need to learn the difference between glory and gratitude. Because glory belongs to God, but gratitude belongs to people. You need to learn how to start saying thank you to somebody that does something nice for you. Come on, somebody. And so the church can sometimes hide behind this false glory. Oh, all, it was all God. No, friend, wherever there is something happening on the earth, it's because God empowered somebody, and it was great leadership and influence from that person. Learn the difference between glory and gratitude. Let me, let me tell you a story. Um, I got a phone call this past week from a friend I play basketball with, and uh, he is the owner of a barbershop in Milford, does an incredible job out there, uh, very influential man in his community. And he called me, 
And he goes, Deb, I got this great idea, and I need your help with it. Ultimately, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to use my influence for God. What he does is in his shop, you walk into his shop, he's got worship music blaring. It's an urban barbershop, uh, reaches all kinds of people. It's a family, a family community and a family environment. And so what he wants to do is he says, I'm going to start this thing. It's not going to be a Bible study. I'm going to call it the power circle. He goes, I'm going to do this thing on Sunday nights at 5 p.m., and I need you to come in and preach the gospel to all my friends that I'm going to bring into this barbershop. And so it's going to have anywhere between 20, I'd say 40, maybe 50 people of men and women. I'm just trying to bring as many people as possible so that you can come in on a Sunday night and preach the gospel to them. And I'm just thinking to myself, what if we have more people in our churches and in businesses and in places of work where we just say, listen, I got all these gifts. I got all these blessings. God has blessed me financially. He's blessed me with buildings. All I'm going to do is use that to glorify him. What if we have more people like that, friends, where we use the things that God gave us? And so normally when God gives us a gift, what happens? The gift becomes a God to us. Oh, man. Oftentimes the gift becomes a God. Make sure you keep God in his place and you understand that all good gifts come from a good God. That was a really good place to say amen right there. All good gifts come from a good God. Can I get amen, everybody? All good gifts come from a good God. Learn how to glorify God in everything that you do. Here's number two. Ready for this one? Is this helping anybody? I'm having fun. Is this the edification of the saints. A plan that prevails always has, number one, the glorification of God. Number two, the edification of the saints. Here's a couple of scriptures I want to read to you uh, from Ephesians. This is speaking of fivefold ministers, but it tells us the intent of why God gave us these. And so he himself, God, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors, and even some teachers. Watch this. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the, what is that word? Edifying. For what's that word? Edifying. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Here's another scripture that goes on in that same chapter. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Pause. You guys read the same scripture I just read? Is that not pretty difficult sometimes? But the Bible says, let's all read it together. One, two, three. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Pause. That's really hard. Is it not? That's, that's pretty hard. But what does it say? Only... What is helpful for the building of others up according to their needs. But say this word with me. One, two, three. Only. One, two, three. Only. Only what is helpful. Could you imagine if just this community, just this service, just these people watching, all of us watching online. If we only used our words to build people up. What would happen to our communities? What would happen to our jobs? What would happen if that happened? There's this principle. I was reading this book. And uh, this man named Dr. Harley affectionately coined this principle called the Love Bank Principle. And he says that every single time you have an interaction, there is always an emotional exchange. So you either build people up or you tear people down. Think of it from a financial principle. It's either withdrawal or it's a deposit. Every single interaction you have with somebody is either positive or negative. And if you are operating in the deficit and it's constantly negative, it's constantly a withdrawal, it's constantly a... Uh, uh, the feeling of, of being, having a bad feeling when you're around somebody, eventually that person will have no relationship with you at all. Or if it's positive, of course, they would want to be drawn to you and you become magnetic for people. It's the love bank principle. And so this is what happens when you edify somebody. Let me give you the proper definition of edification. 
Dictionary.com says it like this, to instruct or improve somebody morally or intellectually. Here's the Greek. I butchered this in the first service. I'm going to say it one more time. It sounds Portuguese. Oikidomi. Is that a Portuguese word? Anybody? Any Brazilians? No? Ah, shut up. Oik. What is it? Only. Only, yeah, yeah. That word, which translates literally as the building of a house. And so what if you saw every interaction you had with people as either you're, you're laying a brick or you're taking a brick away from the house that God has been trying to build? Every single interaction, it's edification. Here's my definition of edification. Write these ones down. Here's this. Edification requires communication. Because how many know you can't teach those who you don't talk with? If you don't talk, you can't teach. You can't teach at all. And so communication is the transportation for relationship. So you have to learn how to engage with people. If you want to influence anybody, you have to establish relationship. How do you establish relationship? Through communication. you got to learn how to talk. you got to learn how to be a friend. Here's the second principle would be this. Edification requires correction. Because how many know, oftentimes, uh, in order to build something up, sometimes some things need to be teared down. In order to have renovation, you need to have demolition first. You need to tear down some old thinking patterns. You need to tear down some old patterns or behaviors or even some old relationships. It's correction. But you can never correct. Listen to me. Watch this. You can never correct if you don't have relational equity. Everybody hear me? You can never correct if you don't have relational equity with somebody. So you need to make sure you're correcting, but correction doesn't mean condemnation. It's a difference. Correction says, I'm trying to correct you. This is the intent, and this is the heart of correction. Correction says, I am making sure that I'm reminding you of who you could be. <laughs> Condemnation is saying, I'm reminding you of the mistakes that you've made. Are you hearing the difference? Let me repeat that one more time, just so you can write it down in your notes. Uh, correction is reminding them of who they could be. Condemnation is reminding them of their mistakes and what they did. Make sure you correct people properly. It's edification. Here's the last one is this. And we don't do enough of this in our culture. Celebration. Learn how to celebrate people. Come on, is there anybody in your life that you can celebrate today? You can just send a text message. You can just show some love. You can just show some honor. We need to learn how to celebrate people. Come on, because our culture is not a culture of celebration. It's a culture of criticism. We love, love to criticize. Let me give you a story. Um, uh, it was, uh, babe, I don't know, a couple months ago. I'm walking from my bedroom, and I look to the right in the kitchen. I'm going into the living room. I look to the right in the kitchen, and we have this door. And I actually had peripheral contact, uh, eye contact with this guy that was at my front, my uh, side doorstep. He saw me. I saw him. As soon as he looked at me, he ran as fast as he could away from the door. And I'm thinking to myself, babe, it's go time. I turn to my wife. I say, babe, start praying. Get my BB gun. Put Zion and lock the door. It's time to buck up. I'm trying to look like Chris and my dad. I put my traps up, chest out, chin up. And I'm like, it's Rambo time, baby. Walk up to the front door, you know, just watch, just muscle step it. I don't know what muscle step even means. I walk up to the door, and I realize the guy gets in his car with his buddy, and then they drive off as fast as they possibly could. Go through the stop sign, like seriously, it was, it was for real. And so I'm looking at this, and I'm just like, what is going on? I go, babe, somebody just tried to break into our door, and he just got intimidated from this beast of a man that walked up to him. Why are you laughing? So I go, babe, don't worry about it. 
I'm the protector of the household. I got you. And as I'm shutting the door, the door won't shut because I look back and I see five bags of groceries that they laid on the front door. I'm over here like about to kill this guy. <laughs> My intent, okay, we're not always super Christians, okay? Can I just be honest sometimes? Shut up, you all do the same thing, okay? I just didn't curse, y'all curse, I didn't curse. I just threatened him, that's it. But I was shutting the door, the groceries are right there and I'm like, wow, I'm trying to break this guy. This guy's just trying to bless me. And so when he saw me, we made eye contact, and I'm thinking to myself, this guy is trying to break into my house. And this guy sees me, and he's like, oh, no, I just want to bless Pastor Devin and his family. I need to get off out of here. <laughs> Jesus, just a completely different perspective. So I looked at it, and I look in the bag, and what do they get? They get me a bunch of groceries with specificity. So it's like the kind of bread that we have, the kind of milk that we use. And so somebody asked, and I asked my wife, I'm like, did you tell anybody about any of this? She's like, I have no idea what happened. And to this day, I still don't know who you are. And if you're in this room, I will find you. And I will kiss you. I'm just thinking to myself, I wish we had more people like that. Where... You don't have to know the name of somebody that's blessing you. You just say, I don't care if I get any glory. I don't care if you know who I am. I've been praying for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you groceries if you need it. I'm going to feed you if you need it. I'm going to help you if you need it. I'm going to counsel you if you need it. We need people like that in our churches. Come on, it's the edification of the saints. It's to edify, it's to celebrate, it's to help and to improve. Watch this, write this down in your notes. You need to find where people are poor and make them rich. You hear me, everybody? You need to find out where people are poor and make them rich. So that means, that means you have to communicate. You have to have relationship. You need to identify where somebody is hurting. And when you find out where they're hurting, help them. Some of you got the gift of giving. You know how much of a blessing that was for Natalia and I? God has blessed us. This is not a story to ask for help. This is not a story at all. God has blessed us so much. We are blessed financially. God has been so good to us. But it was just a little reminder that God was just saying, I care for the details. I care for the small things. I'm a planner. I am incessant. I am strategic. He doesn't sometimes, he doesn't always just do big miraculous things, and he can do it. But God cares for the small details, and he wants to let you know, I will protect you in your small things, in your big things, and things that you thought were impossible. I don't care what you think your limits are on God. God is an unlimited God, and he has unlimited power, and he has unlimited breakthrough for your life. It's the edification of the saints. And here's the last and final one is this. is the evangelization of the world. Glorification of God. A plan that prevails. It needs to have the glorification of God, the edification of the saints. Here's the last one, the evangelization of the world. I know you got your plans, but include God's purposes in your plans. It's important. It's necessary for a plan that works and a plan that lasts. Include God's purposes. Because listen, the Bible contains three things. I'll write these down. The Bible contains three things. It contains good deeds. It teaches us and it communicates to us that we're supposed to be people of generosity. We're called to be people that help others. You know, that pray for the sick. That, that provide for the homeless. We're supposed to be good Samaritans, helping our neighbor, loving our neighbor as ourselves. The Bible has tons of good deeds. The Bible also has tons of, watch this, good advice. 
It has wisdom literature right here. You know, I think about Proverbs and and Job and Ecclesiastes, even James in the New Testament. Wisdom literature. It helps you practically. It gives you Christian living. It's amazing. But the primary and the most important, let's see if they get it right, is the good news. Last service, last service, this one. I'm in the spiritual moment, and it goes, dude news. And I go, oh, my gosh. So we lost the whole first service at that point. So thank you guys in the back. The Bible contains good deeds, good advice, and the last one, good news. Can I tell you something, friends? We have been entrusted by Almighty God with the sacred message of the gospel to communicate to people that they don't have to live in shame. They don't have to live in chains anymore. There is a source for their freedom, and that source's name is Jesus. That is what we have been called and entrusted with. We have the responsibility of the good news. What's the good news? The good news is the story of Jesus. It's who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what Jesus said. Watch this. There's a scripture in Isaiah. Oh, I love this scripture. It's so powerful and so beautiful. It says it like this, Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news. In other words, it's describing a type of person that's evangelistic. Somebody that says, I'm giving people hope where there is no hope. Who publishes peace. Come on, we don't, need, we don't need war published anymore. We don't need violence published anymore. We don't need disunity published anymore. We need peace published. Who brings good news of happiness. And who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. I wrote down just practically. I didn't do this in first service, but practically. This is what I do. How to evangelize? Number one, learn their name. Learn somebody's name. Hi, friend. It's nice to meet you. My name is Devin. What's your name? Get to know somebody relationally. Here's the second part. Ask them questions. Ask them questions about life. I, do, I was doing this with my barber just the other day. Ask him questions about his life, his relationship, what he believes. Oh, my gosh, it's the greatest segue ever. Tell me about some of the things you believe. And just listen. Don't just listen with your ears. Listen with your heart. And watch. They'll open doors for you to just communicate the gospel message. And here's the last one. I'll just place value on Dude, you are so good at what you do. So good. Encourage them. Celebrate them. I'm telling you, the doors will open up for you to evangelize to people when you do stuff like that. Amen, everybody? That's how do you evangelize. So how do you do this? I know you got your plans. I know you got tons of things we're trying to do, tons of things we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to get some goals established. You know, all of us want to look good physically. We want to grow spiritually. We want to grow financially. All, we got all these plans this year. But include God's purposes in your plans. The glorification of God, first and foremost, primary. Edification of the saints. Start helping people. Come on, everything should be for God's glory and people's good. And the last one is this evangelization of the world. We are called to bring salvation to those in need. I'll share this last story. But um, I was uh, informed of this movie. Um, Matt Damon's in it. It's called uh, The Informant. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it before. It's called The Informant. And ultimately what's happening is this man is placed in this position, making significant money, doing a great job. But, you know, normal guy, good job. And uh, the FBI approaches him and says, hey, Mark, we actually need you to be a private investigator for the FBI. What I want you to do is find out all the shady things that are going on within your company. Now, he was uninformed that there were shady things happening. But the FBI was under uh, investigation to kind of figure out what was going on with this company. And so they identify Mark Whitaker as a private investigator. So watch this. Mark Whitaker goes into work the very next day. Same job, same people, same pay. 
but he goes in with a different mission. You hear me, everybody? Same job, same pay, same people, goes in with a different mission. And he walks in there, and now he is an informant for the FBI. Can I tell you something about your job as you walk into it tomorrow? Might have the same job, be around the same people, maybe even the same pay. You got a different mission. Come on, we're on mission. We're, this is the great commission God has given us. Not the great suggestion, the great commission. God has called you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are called to be conduits of Jesus, to be representatives of Jesus. Listen, I said this in first service. You may not be a pastor at Connect, but you are the pastor of your company. You're the pastor of your business. You're the pastor of your job. You are the pastor of that community. You're the pastor of that school. You have a spiritual responsibility and a spiritual mandate. God has called you to do incredible things at that place. And you might get the same pay around the same people, around the same job, but you got a different mission. It's the evangelization of the world. Listen, write this down in your notes, and we'll close. Is this. Your place of employment is your place of deployment. You're not there by accident. You're not simply there just to make money. You're there to make a difference and make a difference for the kingdom and the glory of God. Amen, everybody? Come on, did you receive something today? Did that help anybody in here? Come on, can we praise God? Let's, uh, Let's pray. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And this is for you too online. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. For some of you, this is going to be the greatest decision of your life. It is the most important decision you could ever make is to commit yourself to Jesus. I've spoken about him throughout the entire message. He changed my life. Ultimately, this is what my purpose and responsibility is here on earth. And this is something we will never get to do in heaven because everybody there will be believers. But it's our responsibility to share Jesus And let me just tell you something. What Jesus has done for me has radically transformed my entire life. I didn't even have good old days, but I got greater days ahead because Jesus is with me, and so do you. And so I want to give you an opportunity on the count of three to raise your hand and boldly declare, Jesus, I want to give my life to you, and I want to become a son of God. I want to become family. And so if that's you on three, I want you to shoot your hand up and say, that's just, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. One, Jesus loves you so much, and today is your day for salvation. This is not an accident that you're in this room. Two, don't wait another minute. We don't know if tomorrow is promised. This is your moment to befriend and become family and in relationship with Jesus. If that's you, three, shoot your hand up and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus right now. I see your hand and your hand and your hand. I see your hand in the back there. I see your hand in the back there. Thank you so much. Is there anybody else? Shoot your hand up boldly. Be bold. I thank you so much. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? I see that hand right there. Thank you so much. We're so proud of you. It's amazing. I see that hand in the back there. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, buddy. I'm so proud of you. Would everybody just repeat this prayer after me? Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. And I ask you to come into my life. I'm a sinner. And I acknowledge that. I'm in need of a Savior. So thank you for dying for me. I receive your grace and your forgiveness. Today, I am made new. And God, I also commit my plans to you. I'm going to include your purposes in them from this day forward. In Jesus' name. And everybody said.
Come on, and everybody say, Amen. Amen. Thank you guys. God bless.